0: Father, we love you. I pray for Shane. I pray for this conversation. I pray it helps a ton of people. Lord, a ton of Christians who may be confused or may be operating under some of the falsehoods that we're going to discuss today. I just pray that you offer a ton of clarity through this episode. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Cool. So Shane, obviously you just came out with the book, Non-Common Lies That Christians Believe, which was awesome. I just got done reading it. But to start off, why did you write a book like that? You could have wrote about any topic. Why that one?
1: Yeah, it's really an overflow of kind of our story. Um, so uh, I'm part of the club that married way, way, way over their head. <laughs> I have an awesome wife named Casey. We've been married 18 years, and we have six kids uh, that are 16 and under. So they always say that's a prayer request. All right. And so uh, we have two biological daughters, and then four adopted kiddos. And and one of our our, our kiddos um, is adopted from Uganda. He's got a lot of uh, special needs. Um, he uh, has a rare seizure disorder called Lennox Gastro Syndrome, and uh, which means he suffers from multiple forms of seizures. So he's in a, a wheelchair. it's nonverbal, non-mobile, uh, fed through a G-tube. Uh, he's had 13 surgeries in and out of the hospital. He's got another major surgery at the beginning of 2023. And man, it, it's been a lot. And early on in our journey with him, uh, well-meaning Christians uh, would say things like this. Well, you know uh, what the Bible says? God won't give you more than you can handle. And we're like, man, the Bible does not say that at all. You know, or they say, you know, if if God calls him home, then God had gain another angel. And we're like, man, there's all these like weird sentiments that you know we as the church, for lack of a better term, have adopted into. Our vernacular baptized them and started sharing them with each other, and they're not biblically true. And so, when we got in kind of a healthier spot with him, and we started thinking, okay, what are some other cultural cliches that we share as sentiments, well meaning? You know, I don't want to sound snarky at all, well meaning, but aren't biblically true. And so, made a list of those, and I actually wrote this as a blog article at first uh, for online publication. It became their most read article of that year. And so some publishers reached out and said, hey, would you turn that into a book? We hear these statements all the time. And so that's how it became a book. But it's really out of the overflow of our own stories because here's what we know is that often we share these sentiments with people who are struggling or going through what we'd call like a dark night of the soul. I think C.S. Lewis used that term. Um, you don't usually share those things with people who are having the best day of their life. You usually share it with people who yep. are struggling. And we know what's going to get us through those seasons is God's word, biblical truth, not some cultural cliche that's not even biblically true. So each chapter takes one of those cliches. And then what does the Bible actually have to teach about that topic and a better truth to move forward
0: with than those little cliches? Yeah, so obviously you had nine, not 19, yeah. not 900, 90, <laughs> not 90, but nine. Yeah. Why did you pick these out of all the things yeah. that were out there? Why these lies? Yeah.
1: yeah, Nick, unfortunately, we probably could write a book that included 900 of them, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, I think one of the things that plagues the church the most is really biblical literacy. Um, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ who uh, have supposedly fallen Jesus for a long time, but don't really know the Bible. Um, And so we just share these things because we saw them on social media or we saw a sign or a t-shirt with them on. them, and we share them with each other. Yeah, I picked these nine because I feel like they were the nine that are most commonly shared. Uh, When you think of like, follow your heart, you know, that was one. You see that on t-shirts, you see that on posters, Um, believe in yourself. I mean, you can take, if your kids go to a public school, you can walk down a hallway and see 15 different posters that have some kind of believe in yourself sentiment. Um, you know, and then even things like this, you know, of like, well, I can never forgive that person or I don't think God cares about me or God's forgotten me. I think those are some of the most common cliches, uh, that we tell ourselves or tell others. So those are the nine that we pay, but like you said, there probably could have been 999 of them, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. It's, that's interesting. You mentioned believing in yourself, which in the landscape, as we minister in today, we're both pastors and a capacity. I see believing yourself a lot. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. You know, I can yeah. do it from the mud, yeah. pull pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can make this sure. happen. Discipline, 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 success, success, yeah, yeah. success. And I think everybody want, wants to get theirs when in reality, according to are from what I understand that you believe and what I believe is that the Father of lights, all good gifts come from him. It's not a matter yeah. of our works but what – God does on our behalf and the blessings and the things that he's bestowed upon us in that regard and being completely dependent on him. But we have a culture that likes to be very independent. Yeah, I can do it. I got this. It's all me. What are your thoughts on that? What are the drawbacks of believing something in that manner? Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I, you know, I do a lot of work with Generation Z, um, which are, you know, at the time of this conversation are currently those That have just graduated out of college, in college, and teenagers. And man, they've been told that their whole their whole life. Now, please let me say this up front, like as a caveat. I'm not saying like, all right, hey, you just be lazy, sit on the couch, binge Netflix, and go, well, if the Lord's will, it'll happen. No, like God calls us to work and working for the glory of God. I mean, even God called Adam to work before the even the fall. So work is a part of our design. It's a part of God's like the way he created us. We're, we're to be workers. So work hard for the glory of God. What I'm saying is this, is that where it's like the center of the world is not you, right? And so we go through life often going, oh, well, hey, it's all about me. God did not create you to believe in yourself. He created you to believe in someone bigger than yourself. And his name is Jesus. And you really see this really in all ages, but you really see it in young people. You know, I think in the last two years, you know, coming through the pandemic, I say the pandemic didn't create new problems. It just poured gasoline on problems that we already had, you know? And so when you look at depression rates and suicide rates and drug overdose rates, even amongst young people, think about this they've been told their whole life that you can find happiness in yourself or that you can find happiness in the world. And immediately they realized that the world is broken. They realize they're broken. And so they're really coming to the end of themselves at a much earlier age. And that's why I think depression rates and anxiety rates and suicide rates are so high because they go, man, there's nothing in this world for me. I'm broken. I don't know what the answer is. And that's where as the church, we get to lovingly slide in with the gospel to go, no, no, no. Listen, you were not created to believe in yourself. You were created to believe in someone bigger than yourself. His name is Jesus. And at the end of the day, you'll always feel like something's missing as long as someone is missing. And his name is Jesus. And I mean, you even see that lie, believe in yourself, really goes back to the fall. It was really one of the first like temptations that Satan gave Eve. If you remember this, the serpent in the garden, what did he say? It's like it wasn't necessarily eating an apple that was the fall or the temptation. First of all, we don't even know if it was an apple. The Bible says fruit. It could have been anything, right? But he says this, God doesn't want you to do it because in the day you do, your eyes will be open and you can be like God. So you could almost say he was going like, Eve, follow your heart. Eve, it's your life, do with it what you want. Eve, believe in yourself. You don't need God, be your own God. And then we saw what happened through that whole process. Um, And so I would say, I think the original temptation is really a believe in yourself type temptation. And we were not created to believe in ourselves.
0: Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And I agree with you yet. I think a lot of people believe themselves and want to take things into their own hands because, well, I, I don't know exactly how God is going to play everything out, but I know for myself, I have my own happiness in mind and my own peace in mind. So I'd like to take a hold of the game plan here and move it forward. But you even write about in the book about God just wants to be happy as a lie, as something that's not true, <laughs> that sure. God isn't just interested in your happiness. What do you mean by that? Because I think a lot of people are looking at that thinking, does God want me, want me to be miserable? Like, he just wants me to mm-hmm. be sad all the time. What does yeah. that look like? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I
1: want to say this too, you know, up front, of that, that God is not anti happy. I'm not anti happy. You know, uh, God desires for us to live a fulfilled life. And, you know, even Jesus said, I come to bring life. And abundant life, you know, like so, not even just live, but to live this abundant fulfillment of a life. The point I'm making is this mm-hmm. is that often when we think of happiness, we tie it to feelings, and those feelings are often tied to the circumstances in our life, right? And so, we think the purpose of life is to pursue happiness. Uh, if, if you remember, even, um, you know, several years ago, uh, Duck Dynasty. Was a popular show, you know, and it was like, you know, and you see that happy, happy, happy was, you know, it was on T-shirts. I was like, so we yeah. think pursuing happiness is like the purpose of life, but often when we think about that, it's really this world's definition of happiness. That like, hey, I want to desire these happy feelings, and if my circumstances are right, then I'll have the right feelings. The danger of that is if we're allowing circumstances to dictate our feelings and therefore our happiness, then we're allowing outward things that we cannot control to dictate inward feelings, right? Because a feeling of happiness can come and go with a phone call. You get the right phone Mm -hmm. call, you're going to have happy feelings. If you get a devastating, life-changing phone call, you're not going to have happy feelings. So really, Mm -hmm. the biblical point that I wanted to make in that chapter is, Resting in biblical joy is better than pursuing and chasing worldly happiness because joy in the Bible isn't really a feeling. Joy is more of a person, a state of contentment. It's the Lord himself living inside of you. Like joy has a name. What's great is that when you allow what is on the inside to dictate your joy and not on the outside, then that means anything around you can change, but it doesn't affect your joy. I mean, if, even if you think of the Apostle Paul, he's under arrest for not like racing camels, or, you know, he's under arrest for preaching the gospel. He's doing the right thing and he's under arrest. In that moment, he probably doesn't have happy feelings, but he has joy and he writes this whole letter of joy to the church in Philippi. That's how we get Philippians, the book of Philippians. And then here's Philippians 4, 4, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. As he's pinning that, he's under arrest for preaching the gospel. And so the point he's making is, hey, in this cell, I may not have happy feelings, but I have joy. Because even here, my joy is with me because my joy is on the inside. It's not dictated by outward circumstances. And my joy has a name. It's the name above every name, Jesus. And so good days, joy, difficult days, joy, happy feelings, joy, sad feelings, joy, because my joy is on the inside and it's not dictated by outward circumstances. So yeah, the Lord wants us to be fulfilled. The Lord wants us to be happy, but it's really going to come from this contentment, this peace on the inside uh, that is joy. You know, even when we were talking about Gen Z while I go, this whole generation that's coming up. A recent Wall Street Journal article uh, shared some new statistics on Gen Z, and it says that less than 30 percent of Gen Z uh, says religion is important to them. Less than 30 percent, not even Christianity, just religion as a whole, less than 30 percent. If that be true, then statistically speaking, Generation Z is the least religious generation we've ever seen. However, over 80% of Generation Z says living a self-fulfilled life is very important to them. So that's the threshold to cross with the gospel of Gen Z to go, hey, listen, the Lord wants you to live a fulfilled life, too. It's just going to come from someone outside of yourself. And it's the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, yeah. Jesus. And that's where joy is. So rest in joy. Don't chase worldly happiness.
0: I think that's interesting, though, because I think a lot of people want to carve their own path, especially yeah. Generation Z, as you mentioned. Why do you think that is, you know, they want to chase self-fulfillment. And I think they had, I think the mindset of being tethered to a God that is ordaining and calling them yeah. to where they need to go, as opposed to them deciding for themselves can seem unattractive at the say the least. Yeah. Why yeah. do you think so many people feel like that? And what advice slash encouragement would you give to somebody who does think that way?
1: Yeah, I think when you're young and we were all this way, In a sense, you want to be rebellious, right? You want to rebel against whatever the social norms are. We were the same way when we were young. Maybe it just looked different. And so I think often when people look at Christianity, if you don't understand that really Christianity is a relationship with King Jesus, if you don't understand that aspect, then you look at Christianity as a religion. Therefore, if it's a religion, it's an institution, And I don't like institutions. There is, with Gen Z, there is this extreme distrust with institutions, right? They don't trust the government. They don't trust the news. They don't trust education sometimes. They don't trust religion or the church. And so I think that's where we can help re educate when we're sharing the gospel. I think that's where we can help in discipleship to go hey, hey, the church is not an institution, the church is the bride of Christ. Is is it perfect? No, like we're not perfect.
0: Hey, guys, before jumping back into the episode, I want to give a huge shout out to this show's sponsor, Making Him Known Apparel Company. Making Him Known is run by my guy Aaron and Aaron does an awesome job of making apparel that draws others to Jesus. They have hoodies, tees, totes, stickers and much more stuff coming soon. All at Making Him Known dot com, which will be linked in the show notes. So if you want to support this podcast, go support making him known and go get you some awesome apparel. But church
1: is the perfect place for imperfect people to gather to worship the perfect Savior so we can go and live this life that he's called us to live. And so I think there's this just rebellion against institutions, this rebellion against social norms. I want to say this. I think with Gen Z and probably even Alpha Generation coming up after them, you could almost go, hey, if you want to rebel then be a Christ follower. Believe the Bible is the word of God. Believe that God's design for marriage is still between a man and a woman. Believe that God intentionally designed and creates your sex. And what I mean by sex, like male, female, um, believe that God designs you to know him and to make him known. Like Because here's the deal. If you're a young person and you actually believe that and live that out, you will be rebelling against social norms and cultural norms today. And so I would say, what if the new cultural norm is to actually be a follower of Jesus? I mean, if you go back 2,000 years ago in Rome, and like the Roman Empire, and then you look in Israel and the birth of the church, people thought they were radical rebels. That's why mm-hmm. many of them were being put to death and being chased and, and, and you know, being in prison because they're like, that's a rebellious group. They're rebelling against the social norms of the day. They're rebelling against the, the dictatorship of the Caesar. What if the new rebellion for the glory of God is a whole generation will actually start believing the Bible? chasing after Jesus and living out what the Bible tells us to.
0: Oh man, that would be something. And I think it, it, it paints a positive picture as we look forward to. And yeah. as I look at the situation, as you just mentioned, I don't want to say kids, but younger individuals not wanting yeah. to be tethered or quote unquote, air quotes, held down by God mm-hmm. that just wants to give them commandments, give them rules, live this way, don't live this way, et cetera. I think that works out all fine and hunky-dory until something bad happens to you, until you yeah. find that you need to be tethered to something to keep you standing. But in peacetime, of course, yeah, I can operate on my, based on my own happiness, whatever I want to do, because well, I got this. Of course, mm-hmm. everybody can manage in peacetime. It's when things fall apart is when I realize, oh, wow, I need, I need a relationship with God. I need to be tethered to something bigger to myself because I cannot hold myself up. And you write about that. That's one of the lies that you say. God basically doesn't give us more than we can handle or would never give us more than we can handle. What can you expound on that lie for the audience? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And let me address to, with that particular one, kind of the, for lack of a better term, the elephant in the room, because typically when you go, Hey, the Bible doesn't teach that God won't give you more than you can handle. The first thing people go is like, Oh no, 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 no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? You know, where it's like, God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God is faithful. He'll always offer a way of escape. And I always say, even in that verse, you're ultimately dependent upon the Lord, not yourself. When he says he won't allow you to be tempted. So it's still him protecting. And then even in that, mo- in that middle, of that verse is the most important part of the verse God is faithful to offer you a way of escape. So even in that, you're ultimately dependent upon the Lord. So when it says, you know, think of the cliche itself and just break it down. God won't give me more than I can handle. Like you were not created to take the weight of this world on your own shoulders. I think that's why so many people today struggle with anxiety. Now, Nick, I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. I know there's mm-hmm. people that struggle deeply with clinical anxiety, where maybe you need to see a doctor and counseling and medicine, all that. You know, I'm not talking about that. I mean, you set that to the side. That's very real. I understand that. I'm talking about your everyday anxiety, your everyday anxiousness. I think a lot of times the reason we have that is because we're really trying to do a job above our pay grade, meaning mm-hmm. we want to be in control. we want to do what we can handle. And when you're trying to be in control, when you're trying to handle everything, you're really trying to do God's job. So you're trying to do a job above your pay grade and you can't do that. Your job is not to handle everything. Your job is not to be God. Your job is to trust God to be God and let him handle everything. And guess what? He can handle it. And whenever you think of practically everything's more than we can handle. Like breathing is more than we can handle, right? Like we need a God who loves us to give us the common grace of oxygen. We need like our heart to pump. We, you know, we need, uh, like the air around us. Like even breathing is more than we can handle. I have six kids. Guess what, Nick? That is more than (laughs) I can handle. Being in ministry is more than we can handle. Driving down the interstate during rush hour. That's more than we can handle. You know? So really we we were not created to handle everything. Our job is to trust the Lord who can handle everything through us. And so that's the good news is that if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you then like that power is greater than you and he can handle things through you, right? So it's not about God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than he can handle through you. So just trust in him.
0: Yeah. So Shane, I hear you. And I think anybody listening hears you. They're like, yeah, God, God's got me. You know, he's, God's mm-hmm. gonna protect me. He has a plan for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yet here I am going through garbage and terrible times. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. God loves me and he wants to help me, but what does that look like practically? Like I want to trust in him. I want to give this over to him. I, I, I want him to carry my burdens, but what would you advise someone to do who is literally in the midst of that right now? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: even think back to adopting our son that, you know, I talked about earlier that has a lot of special needs, constant doctor visits, constant therapies, constant, um, you know, surgeries. And Nate, just being honest in the first year that he was home, um, you know, now that you know, I serve with a network of churches, and I pretty much travel and speak full time. But at that time, I was a lead pastor of a fast-growing church. Um, my wife's a pastor's wife, and man, we just couldn't be honest. We just felt like we couldn't be honest. Meaning, like we would throw around the cliches, we're like, "God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, you know, uh, yep. you know. Uh, God's only give us more than you know." And we just couldn't be honest with ourselves because we felt like we had to keep up appearances. And then about a year into that journey, man, we just broke, both of us. We just broke, burned out. Um, I masked my hurt with busyness. Casey kind of masked her hurt by becoming more reclusive, staying at home. We just got to a point where we were honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord. And man, we sought the Lord. Uh, we went through Christian counseling. And it was in that moment going, okay, God won't give me more than he can handle." All right. Um, Well, that's not true, but this is true. God won't give me more than he can handle through me. So what does that mean? I'm suffering, I'm struggling, this is difficult. I would say part of that is like, just be honest with the Lord. First of all, I just wanna give you permission. Be honest with the Lord, because he knows anyway. You can throw a mask up, but he can see right behind that mask. So first of all, be honest with the Lord to go, God, I trust you, I love you, but I don't like this this is difficult. This sucks. Lord, this stinks. Lord, help me. And then be honest with others, trusted people around you to go, you know what? I trust the Lord. I love the Lord, but I am really struggling. I think the enemy, one of his greatest tools against believers is to make them think they have to keep up appearances. So they put some fake face on towards God and a fake face on towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. And the whole time on the inside, they feel really lonely, alone, separated, isolated. Don't do that. I think one of the greatest ways to bring down loneliness, isolation, separation is honesty. Be honest with the Lord, Be honest with others. You know what's great, Nick? Even as a pastor, when I started being honest about my own struggles and my own fears and my own doubts, it gave permission to others in our ministry to do the same thing where they were like, oh man, I'm struggling that same way. Man, if my pastor is just a real person and he's desperately needs the Lord, so do I. And it really gave permission in our church to be honest. We felt like our church took another step towards maturity when we started being honest about our struggles. So I want to just say, there's many steps to this. The first step is just be honest before the Lord and with others. That man is difficult and you don't have to keep up appearances.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think that's good too, because there's a lot of leaders listening, listening to this people who are on staff at a church, people who are sure, you know, high performance volunteers, people who set the pace in their faith for other people to follow. But there's a tough thing nowadays. I think people I talked about all last episode with my guy, Noah, about ministers and moral failures this idea of, you know, ministers live in a fishbowl and it's a tough life to live. And we have this expectation of perfection. I can't do this. I can't do that. I got to make sure that my integrity is all tidied up. But you're mentioning, well, be real, be raw, you know, showcase that you need Jesus Christ as much as anybody else. Mm -hmm. How would you encourage somebody to balance that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Balance being. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think honestly, you know, in, in speaking to leaders, I say this often, and I really believe it, that people aren't looking for cool leaders to follow. They're just looking for real ones, authentic ones, right? Because once again, like I said, people don't trust the news. They often don't trust social media. They know Instagram is full of filters, right? Uh, They know the avatars on video games aren't real. Um, And so people are just looking for real. So I'd say, first of all, just be you. Be real. Don't try to be someone else. Um, a friend of mine says it like this. It's a snare to compare. So stop trying to compare yourself to other leaders and live up to that expectation. So be you, be real. But also I, I want to encourage young leaders to, to like, Hey, be mature about it, because I think there is this pendulum shift with young leaders to go, oh, man, I'm going to be overly raw. I'm going to be overly just share all the junk. Hey, there's some things that should be left in the prayer closet. You know what I mean? Like save some stuff for you and the Lord. You don't have to share all the junk. You know where I think if we're not careful, and, and I think we can all be guilty of this, especially younger leaders to go, you almost like glorify in your like struggle or sin. You know what I mean? Like we almost like glamorize it. And so sometimes I ask young people, hey, where's the gospel victory in this? Because I I, I see a shift sometimes even with young people to go, okay, we're going to be overly authentic. We're going to be overly raw. We're going to just share it. But there's never this like victory freedom side of it. Meaning this like sometimes in like even small groups, like, man, young people are really good at just sharing all their sin, their job. Like, if they trust you, they'll share it all. They'll tell you too much. Sometimes we're like, hey, save that for Jesus, take that to the Lord. (laughs) But what we do, you know, and then there's that, there's another cliche it's okay to not be okay. And I always say, hey, that's great, but that's just the starting point. The gospel goes past that. Like, it's okay to not be okay, but it ain't okay to stay that way when there's another way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you go, because you got some brothers, right, even in ministry and leadership, they're confessing the same stuff over and over again, week after week, month after month, year after year, and you go, okay, but where's the gospel hope in that? Where's the gospel victory in that? Where's the gospel maturity in that freedom? Like, okay, yeah, we may be in this. Hey, I'm struggling with this raw, but let me tell you about what my Lord has done. Let me tell you about the journey I'm on. And so I would say that was, those two massive pendulum shifts and let's just meet in the middle. You don't have to hide everything, but let's also not like glorify, you know, some of our struggles either. Let's go here. here, I'm going to be real with my struggles, but let me tell you about my real savior too.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because always magnifying Christ in the process. I mean, that's the whole point. Exactly. Is that we can't, but Christ did. Is that it's never about what we can do, but what God has done for us on our behalf and the things that he's enabling us to do to this day.
1: And so that's the big
0: thing. So yeah, as you—it's kind of the same
1: Nick because you see, even sometimes when people sharing their testimony, right? It's kind of like the it'd be like thirty minute testimony. It's like twenty eight minutes of all the wretched stuff I did, (laughs) and then it's like oh, and then I met Jesus, and everything's different now. You know, it's like now it's like okay, let's let's talk about this victory a little more. You know.
0: Yeah. Oh man, uh, dude. Because I, yeah. I tell you know our kids, you know we we want to put them in a position to lead, and a lot of times they speak or whatever. We have them share their yeah, testimony, sure. and I tell them, look, you want to watch your garbage to grace ratio, right? Like, remember, that you are, <laughs> dude,
1: that's great, Nick. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that you are, that awesome. you were saved. That that's the best part <laughs> yeah. of your life, not what you were doing in whatever that was drinking. You know, pornography. Yeah, you yeah, mentioned yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like let's yeah. let's remember what we're more excited about. The fact that you don't do those things anymore, right? <laughs> That's but awesome.
1: I, um, dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. Watch our garbage to grace ratio. That's awesome, man. I'll give I'm te- you credit. I'm telling Nick. You, man. That's
0: awesome. Please do. Yeah, please do. But no, yeah. I mean, we're sliding to an end here, Shane. And I wanna I wanna know, as you've written this book or even as you've ministered, what do you think is the greatest lesson that has come out of this whole situation? Oh well, wow. really that the word of God is sufficient. The word of
1: God is always relevant. I love Hebrews four twelve when it's describing what the word of God is, because it's none of its past tense talk; it's all present tense talk. Right? the The Bible is living, sharper, you know, cutting. You know, um, it's all present tense talk. So the Bible is always relevant. And I'll say it again: I think one of the greatest issues in the Christian life today, or in the church, is just Bible illiteracy, like learn the Bible. And let me encourage my, especially the dudes listening, because often it's the guys who share this. Um, You know, it's often guys that are like, well, I just, I'm not good at reading. I'm not good at retaining information. I'm not good at learning. But then that same brother knows like the junior high that their favorite athlete went to. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, man, that's that's <laughs> that's almost stalkerish, man. It's like you got all the stats memorized. Like like when it comes to fantasy football, you're reading all the blogs, all the podcasts, you're reading all the magazines. And I'm like, listen, if you can do that for an athlete, surely you can do that for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like, So I just say, trust the word of God be in the word of God, love the word of God. It is always relevant. You know, even people ask today, they'll be like, Hey Shane, what, you know, what's the best book out there on helping people navigate all this talk of sexuality or what's the best book out there to help people navigate all this talk on gender confusion and all that. I'm like, Hey, well, the new Testament's pretty good. I uh, yeah. mean, it's like if you go back in time, 2000 years ago, the Roman empire, they were dealing with all the same stuff. That was like normal in the Roman empire, all that confusion. And here's the church being birthed, exploding and navigating that uh, in truth. So the Bible is relevant. Trust it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Man, great, great word, Shane. I want to be respectful of your time, but man, this was a, some fire wisdom and we appreciate you a ton. Thanks so much for being on today. Thanks, my friend. It was a blast.